Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. In this episode of Salik Cast, we are joined by Brother Almir, Almir Kolan, who is a director of Australian Center for Islamic Finance and CEO at Olive Investments. He was also previously consultant, lecturer, and board member of the Master of Islamic Banking and Finance course at La Trobe University. Brother Almir, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Walaikum assalam rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very happy to be here. Thank you for your generous invitation. Yeah, we're very happy to have you here um, today. Me, Haider, uh, Yahya, and Brother Zaid will be interviewing to, interviewing you with some of the questions that we were curious about and maybe some stuff that you want to share. Um, but maybe just to start off easy, um, maybe for those that may not be too familiar with your work, could you maybe briefly describe yourself? Your field of expertise, maybe share some projects that you are involved in or passionate about, um, and trying or like any other goals that you want to share with us. Well, thank you again for the invitation. I guess uh, I generally specialize in uh, finance and economics. Um, I'm interested uh, in business in general. I follow um, current news and events, I guess, like most of the people. Uh, and um, I like to read history, psychology, um, parenting, as you know, it's it's uh, being a parent. It's one of those other areas. And um, yeah, and generally, these are these are my uh, business uh, economics. Uh, I I am interested also in technology and um, trends that that are happening. It's just one of those things that's inescapable. It's part of our life. So. Anything that is culturally significant, I guess I try to try to understand what's happening. So, uh, what what sorts of projects are you involved in when it comes to the Islamic finance aspect? So, um, I, I, I've come across some of your courses, mashallah, on YouTube and also on your website. And you mentioned um, Olive Investment. So, what are like the main projects that you're trying to um, to you're you're part of? So I uh, we we have uh, investment funds here in Australia that invest in healthcare. Um, uh, we also have organization that uh, provides uh, advice to uh, young people, business people, entrepreneurs in general, how to uh, start and run their business within uh, Islamic parameters. Uh, so it's Sharia compliant. Um, we we teach general financial literacy uh, and uh, you know just uh, whole heaps of courses uh, conferences researches um, uh, most recently I was for example uh, working on uh, code of conduct for ethic for ethics in Islamic finance for IOFI which is standard setting body for Islamic finance and um, Another 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 piece that I mentioned, which is I think getting more and more interesting, especially when it comes to uh, a regulatory side of finance, and uh, especially when it comes to digital economies, uh, is the governance around financial transactions, and uh, that is also uh, you know being involved with the Islamic funds and investment world. I I, I can appreciate how important that part uh, is to provide security and safety for participants and investors. Nice, nice range of uh, 
of projects. Um, so for, for part one of this uh, interview, inshallah, we wanted to start off by talking about your life story, your experiences growing up, and some of the lessons that can be derived from it. So could you describe your early years in what environment were you brought up in and what, when did Islam become something uh, significant in your life? I, I was uh, born in Bosnia. <clears throat> Bosnia is uh, used to be part of another country, Yugoslavia, that was formed after Second World War. Bosnia has uh, a long history. Um, and um, after, during, after the Second World War, communism got a very strong hold in that region, Balkan region. Balkan region is uh, that region. You, you, you might hear the other countries like Serbia, Montenegro, Macedonia, um, you know, even parts of Greece and so on. So Albania. So the, this, these regions, um, uh, they, they were under very strong communist influence, which is very anti-religious. And it, most of our leaders, including the late president of Bosnia, Alija Izetbegovic, they were in prison for their Islamic activism, writing simply books and so on. So the region was very anti-religious. And um, it was only with the fall of, uh, I guess, Soviet uh, or, or that sort of a bloc uh, after the Cold War finish, once the Soviet uh, bloc sort of collapsed and the Berlin Wall went down, that a lot of these countries started looking alternative political or economic system to govern themselves. And so Muslims naturally in Bosnia, they, 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 they went and they started to sort of more and more resonate with Islam. There was awakening. People started practicing and asking questions. And so in my early childhood, I remember both of these periods, uh, a very communist period where you couldn't identify much with Islam or anything, and then that awakening, and then we had a war and so on, uh, where we fought uh, more and more for that independence. But my childhood was pretty normal. You know, I was I was born in Sarajevo, capital city. I've spent all of my life in a very beautiful part of the Sarajevo, which is old part. Um, went to school there, a lot of history in, in, in that part. And... Um, wanted actually to be a pilot in in military before the war started my mother was telling me how that you know like she sort of inspired me to to want to do that career i i actually wanted something to do with the military which was very exciting i guess for most young boys you know <laughs> firefighters police officer military that sort of thing is very exciting uh but yeah um just a pretty normal childhood then during the war I, I, I started more and more reading. My grandmother had a lot of influence on that. She would send us to school, to teachers. And over the period of time, I started uh, getting more and more into that uh, uh, religious aspect, let's say. So um, when you were a young child and, and still growing up, um, when, when did the conflict start? At, at what age and what led to the conflict starting? Do you remember like what the political events or figures, who they were at the time? Yes, yes. The conflict started, I was still in my uh, high school, high school, uh, and um, I was like 15, 16 years of age. Um, and basically conflict started because uh, Yugoslavia, that was uh, the, the that was a collection of six main republics, 
and two autonomous region uh, started to collapse and people didn't want to, uh, Slovenia went uh, its own way, the Croatia went, and then Bosnia didn't want to stay in the Serbia, which would be very dominant. And so Muslims wanted to have a separate state since it was collapsing. Uh, there was very nationalistic uh, uh, rhetoric uh, coming from the Serbian government, from Belgrade and uh, radical elements uh, within within Bosnia. And um, I remember even as a kid going to the mountains, Bosnia is very nice, I guess, similar to where you are, a lot of mountains, a lot of people like, love skiing. We, we would go to those mountains and I remember seeing the soldiers digging in, you know, making trenches and everything. So the military that was controlled at that time by Serb uh, didn't want uh, that this part of then half of what was left from Yugoslavia to, to go, go and build new independent state. Um, and then they try to do that by force. Uh, they they want uh, to force people to uh, stay and they provoke basically, uh, they staged incident, provoked it, and that basically led to the, uh, uh, gave them pretext to barricade the city, to start shelling the areas and basically uh, start the war. And so um, we were just uh, basically kids, you know, we were just uh, had very few weapons and everything. And uh, we were trying just to guard our streets and protect ourselves. And, uh, you know, and then from there on, it started. The rest is, as they say, history. So how would you say, like, what were like the interactions between Christians and Muslims at the time? Was it, was the, was it a lot of motivated by the religion or was it just nationalism? Between Muslims and Christians, there was, in and where we were, for, as far as Muslims were concerned, we were not so much concerned. Uh, we were not brought up in that sort of environment. Uh, my my neighbor was a uh, Serb, and you know I have a lot of neighbors who were Serb. So this is uh, Sarajevo was uh, they considered it like a Jerusalem, the most similar city to Sarajevo is a Jerusalem. Uh, and it's a, that's why they call it Jerusalem of Europe because it has all of these other religions. Uh, it was intersect, it, Sarajevo was intersection between uh, East and West Roman Empire uh, or East and West Church. So when the Roman Empire collapsed, it created uh, Roman Church and Byzantine Church. And so uh, from there we got Orthodox and Catholics. And Sarajevo was always in the middle. It has its own unique church, which is why Muslims were very, uh, they, they accepted Islam much more because they were practicing much more authentic uh, belief in and monotheism than what was at that time propagated. And so um, Muslim, Muslims understood the context. Even during the crusade, the Jew, Jewish people were running away to Bosnia to hide from Christian persecution. So Muslims never uh, harmed uh, their religious uh, institutions or uh, places of worship. And uh, and I remember my neighbor uh, shell bomb went from the Serbs uh, lines to my neighbor's Serb house, and he was hiding in my house. If he was in the house, his daughter would have been killed. And so we didn't do this kind of discrimination. Uh, but the other side, they wanted just the Serbs to rule and uh, have uh, positions of power. So they were very discriminatory, and they. Uh, 
they get this view from the very uh, negative perception of the history where they thought that this is their time to take revenge on Muslims because the Turks ruled that region, Balkan region, for a very long time. And so they saw this as a historic opportunity to take revenge for something that they say happened in history. So sometimes this is how the people radicalize themselves, and unfortunately they take power and they try to physically remove other people. But we never uh, believed in these kinds of things. In fact, when when uh, Ottomans came to the region, they actually established, and that's available in one of their churches in the city of Foynica, they gave a declaration that anyone here living in this region will be free to practice their religion. And that is one of the first documents in the ever written document that's even translation translated in UN that guarantees religious rights to people of other other faiths. And as we it's not strange for Muslims because we don't believe in forcing people. The truth is clear. If you want the truth, it's very clear. I don't need to force you. What kind of truth needs somebody to force to see the truth? So only falsehood requires force to false uh, to force somebody to believe in it. The truth should compel by the strength of its argument. Yeah, that's a uh, a very important uh, point you've raised. Uh, the truth has to; it doesn't force people to believe it. So, what what do you think are some more uh, like what are the uh, important uh, experiences you might want to share about the world, or what do you think are the lessons we can learn what the next generation can learn from the from what happened here? war is one of those things which is very unfortunate um it's not as scary as a lot of people think you know when when <laughs> like uh, you you would be surprised how what person can handle if put in a situation and so uh, in in the war you most of most of the times you actually don't even think about yourself you don't think about fear you don't think about what can happen to you uh, maybe later on you start processing these these things but your body your response is in survival mode uh and um and you find yourself, you reach certain limits that you didn't believe that you can reach. So human uh, human mind and body is equipped with a very high level of tolerance to what, what is happening. So so you uh, people used to say, as a kind of um, hopeful, wishful thinking, you know, like, or, or maybe you could say like a dua. They say, I hope you never realize what you can stand to uh, uh, bear. I hope you never realize your limits. Because human limits is very high, very, very high. And so in, in war, you are tested uh, with, these, with, these, uh, with these things. But um, I guess what what makes it really uh, a bearable is a type of people that you have around yourself and this is where you learn to rely on other people uh you you worry about other people you don't worry about yourself and you, you surround yourself with people your family your friends and you go through these things together and so uh, even even when it comes to the military defense the people who defended Bosnia, they came together because they were simply friends and then they realized what's happening and they stood together, they fought for one another. And that's, I think, the big lesson. Uh, 
which is that um, the challenges of these lives are usually, whether it's a war or something else, but they are complex in nature. No single individual single-handedly can stand against them. You have much better chance if you work and cooperate together. Which, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, uh, there is a, when I, when I said it like that, <laughs> I just remember there was one movie also where the, if you, if you, the, the movie Gladiator, you know, I don't know if you watched that movie by Russell Crowe, um, where, where he is like a gladiator and there is an enemy coming in front of them, in front of them. They are, they are, they are just with a few swords. They are enslaved and uh, he's saying to them, look, we don't know what's what's coming through those doors, but whatever it is, we have much better chance of surviving if we work together. Subhanallah. Yeah, I mean, just listening from your stories, it's like I can't imagine like, the stuff you've been through, um, and like what your family has been through. I'm just curious if, like, do you, do you think like this experience in war and like um, communism and stuff like that? Do you think Islam's kind of like the really, like Islam really helped you get through those periods, or do you think it's because of those periods your like iman has like strengthened over time? I think the reality of life, um, you know, Islam Islam is something that is um, uh, that works with the reality of life, we, we, and and only um, I think today when I look at what's happening with a lot of uh, around us, most of people don't live in real life. They live life online, or they interact in sort of virtual world, and 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 uh, they they think reality is what they say or what other people say or how something is presented. And so often, when reality hits them, you know, when uh, they, they they get surprised or shocked or s- something like that. In a war, the world, you know, the war gives you the reality that is. Importance of strength, importance of power, importance of, you know, having somebody to rely on, importance to be ready. Uh, there are there are mistakes. Mistakes have a real significant consequences. You need to think. Um, and so, Islam Islam is a way of living. The way you prepare, the way you deal with problems, the way you do after that, it gives you a, a framework. Uh, but but you need to think how how does this fit. Um, how does this uh, how does this Islam fit what's going on around me? So um, so so you you start realizing the importance of uh, people of knowledge, people of experience, uh, people who are guiding you. Um, so you 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 tend to take things much more seriously because you realize that every wrong uh, move there are significant uh, consequences. And uh, in this life these days, young people. Often they are shielded from those consequences. But as our president used to say when they asked him about how was the war like, he said the war is like driving a bus on a very, very narrow road down the hill, you know. And you drive that bus, but the road is very narrow and it's very steep. So if you rush, if you rush it, you will collapse the whole uh, thing. Uh, so you 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 have to drive very carefully and very slowly. The, the reality that's the reality. Although behind you the bus is full of people who want you to speed and rush, and so that's how it is. So Islam gives us this logic uh, how things should be done and everything. But your desires they want something quick, something you know. But uh, 
but you have to be wise enough and you have to see these messages of Islam in much, much more deeper sense. And not just a very shallow, shallow, uh, quick way, but more you can absorb these lessons and you can connect them with, uh, with, with your reality. You can then see that, uh, that, that these are the things that really help you. And so it works together. You know, reality push you to think. What you learn from Islam makes you to rethink a reality again. And so it's, it slowly builds you up. So it's not one or the other. So it's all like a circle, come after another. Little bit of this, little bit of that. You start reflecting, seeing, you move forward. So it's one step at a time. Inshallah, thanks for that advice. And I think, I like how you mentioned uh, Islam really kind of slows you down in kind of this world where we're all kind of put in like in a rat race where we have to move to the next one, get the next achieve the next goal um, and we sometimes don't stop to think about what we're doing and we're just kind of following the the sheep ahead of us. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's it's crazy, especially during the pandemic, even mm -hmm. and the pandemic is like such a good example because I think I know a lot of my friends who are non-Muslims started to think about like what life really is when the pandemic hit and mm. start to think about what is actually really me like is meaningful to them. Mm. Um, that's right. And, and that's one of the things that people don't realize about learning. Learning is not just you read and read and read and learn and learn and learn. You have to stop learning to process what you just read. You cannot just keep learning by reading and collecting information without you stopping and making sense of that. So, so, so that quality will only come when you, when you grasp what did I just read? You know, sometimes when I sit with my son and we read the hadith and we just read the line, one sentence, and I say to him, what do you think it means and how this means? And what did, until you start unlocking different levels of that information, uh, because what you think you know from that quick reading, you, 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 you have certain perception, you have a certain way of seeing, but you don't realize that that's, that's really, you know, just the first layer. You know, there, there are different ways to think, to see this uh, same information. So, so the, the, the experience, the, the pause, pausing yourself to reflect, to think, it's sometimes much more than the quantity of information that you digest. Okay, so, um, <clears throat> so to sort of close off the, um, the chapter about Bosnia, um, so, so how long did the war last? How many years? Just under four years. Under four years. Okay, and did you continue your schooling throughout that period of time, or did you have to stop schooling? We, we were uh, going a little bit to school, um, and uh, we, we had to go through the military training as well, uh, but it was a combination of um, doing the work that we had to do to survive, uh, to, to help the whatever the tasks were, uh, and then the training and, and, and schooling. So it was all um, part of the daily life. The li you, you had to keep life as normal as possible. And um, did, did a lot of close people from you die or pass away during the war? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of I mean, you, you get uh, the, a lot of people who you know or you're from your family, they, 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 
they did uh, get uh, killed or injured. Um, so yeah, the, the large number of people. Oh, you know, you there, there is every, every everyone knows someone who who got affected in some way. Would you say the Muslims after the war, because of the pressure, because of being forced to come together and focus on their identity, they became more practicing and started valuing Islam more? Some people, during, a lot of people in the war, uh, you know, in the war everybody come to their senses, you know, because they start thinking, oh, the bomb falling, oh, please God help me, you know. Like in Quran, it's a, it talks about people who are in the sea. When they are in the sea and the waves start crashing on them and they start drowning, they 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 say, "Oh God, help me!" But once they get on the f- uh, on the on the ground, then they forget about it. So, so this is how the uh, same happened in Bosnia. So you have maybe half of the people who learn their lesson and so on, and then you have a significant portion of people who, under the influence like we all see around us, uh, Bosnia is in Europe, there's a lot of Western influence, uh, you know, and from before uh, ideas. Uh, and as I said, it's it's uh, where the East and West collide. And so uh, the, the ideas, ideas are uh, imported. I mean, uh, there are certain events that go against all of religions that are promoted so heavily by foreign embassies, for example. I mean, you have certain events that uh, go against all of our values, but they are so uh, uh, so strongly promoted uh, by by these NGOs and other people that you wonder, like, you don't help in anything except promoting these ideas and beliefs, and so people get caught up in these things. But looking at my own family, for example other than my grandmother who was practicing before the war, like now it's maybe 60, 70% or something like that, people in my own family, uh, which is a significant uh, turnaround. But uh, just because war happened doesn't mean everybody will be awakened or something like that. So it's an it's, it's uphill battle. It's, a, it's something that you need to strive and, and work with your people and uh, make them come to realize. And uh, you, you, you are going against a lot of ideologies and things, and especially economically when you are not in a good shape, these people get desperate and they want to do whatever works for them. Right. Yeah. Um then, then in terms of, of your own personal journey, so when when did you become interested in Islamic finance and when did you start the path towards studying Islamic finance? Was it while you were still in Bosnia or when you moved to Australia f- uh, first? Well, it, it was mainly during the, my time in Australia that I started realizing, um, just like studying these these things here in locally with Imam and then... Um, um, studying business, that, that these things started making some sense to me. And uh, I, because no one was doing it, I, I sort of started doing it and reading it a bit more and people started asking questions. Just I started investigating and going around traveling and seeking some advice and and more and more the situation uh, was like that, you know. Certain things happen and you realize that, look, you know, this is something that is very important for us. We need to do that. I mean, I was interested in 
making the community better and stronger and um, more equipped to deal with certain things. Uh, and one thing led to another, and then you find yourself in a situation where you realize this strategically is very important that our community is equipped with these things. Right. So how long after the war ended and then um, did you decide to move to Australia? And did you do any post-secondary studies in Bosnia or was it you finished high school, then made your way to Australia, did university there, perhaps something related to business, mm. and then you did Islamic finance on the side? Yeah, in Bosnia, after finishing and going to the, um, uh, I, I I started engineering, actually, uh, like computer science in, in Bosnia. I wanted to study that, but because I was injured, uh, I went to, uh, after war finished uh, in 95, the next year, in 96, I went to Australia to uh, basically study and uh, uh, just to get some medical help. And so that that uh, now that I continue living here, get married and, and so on. But um, I, it took me some time going through different sort of areas. I, I did postgraduate first in um, in like a business management and then later on uh, did a postgraduate in fi fi Islamic finance. Uh, but really, uh, these degrees, you know, until you practice, until you read, until you, again, pause, most of the time, degrees just give you some basic skills. And then you need to really um, uh, collect your thoughts and, and make sense of it uh, after. So that's what's, uh, what, what I've done. I, I really I try to focused on um, what is the bigger picture here. So, as I said before, more strategic uh, looking at, at, at the things. Okay, perfect. And then I guess the, the final question before we go on to the um, Islamic finance and economic section is, um, so I'm not sure, like, are you, um, you mentioned you were injured and that was one of the reasons you went to Australia. Like, uh, do you want to share any of the experiences or how you got injured or? Well, I was, um, I, I, I guess when I was in school, I uh, did a lot of, um, um, what do you call it, uh, martial arts and things like that. And uh, we, we were in a tough neighborhood, so you have to fight for yourself. So I, I wanted to protect myself. I started training. And, uh, you know, as a kids, we were... Um, we were a bit stupid, you know, like sometimes you got into a lot of fights, a lot of things. Uh, we started doing some weights, lifting weights. And then, you know, I, I, sometimes you do some mistake and we would sometimes uh, go, instead of going to the school, we'll run away from school, you know, uh, in the high school, uh, do we have a river, a river here. So you, instead of going to school, you run away. And then there was a bridge, huge bridge. And we used to jump off that bridge. And the bridge was very high, high. And then I, I remember we would jump and lift the weights. And, and I think that a little bit damaged my back. Uh, and then when I was in military, uh, on the training, that, that made, made it worse. So uh, I basically had to, had to stop um, any activity for, uh, for about, I don't know, six months uh, and, and, and go to the, to the hospital. Uh, it's actually, incidentally, exactly at that place I told you, Foynitsa, where that uh, writing from Ottoman is held. It was a small uh, place. Uh, and so 
I, I end up in that hospital and the uh, news of the war reached me in that hospital while I was uh, recovering. But so, it was ba basically back injury. Okay. Yeah, I, w I was thinking maybe like a bomb or something during the war. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Um, so what was your journey to Australia, Australia like and how did you find the environment there? Was it a big culture shock for you or was it very similar to what you were used to? Australia, uh, my, a lot of Bosnians used to uh, go to Australia after Second World War, running away again from communism. They find Australia very uh, nice. I think it's very similar to what you have in Canada uh, in terms of the, how the society is structured. Uh, as, as somebody said, uh, even like, you know, somebody was saying, what's the difference between Canada and U.S.? You know, it's just, just uh, people are just less angry. They, they don't carry guns, you know. But other than that, you know, a lot of the other similar things, you know. So Australia is, I guess, uh, similar to that. Uh, and uh, for me, it was not a big, uh, in terms of um, how it is, uh, Bosnia is very sophisticated, uh, you know. So, so not much in terms of uh, daily things, what you see around yourself. But obviously, after the war and everything, like uh, you just, uh, you, you just, take some things for granted, you know, like just opening your tap and having the water, you know, just like it's a, it's a, after four years living that, that was like a big shock, you know, like I always remind myself, you know, when you open the tap, I get happy, you know, like, no, there's water because that's how we or put, uh, you click on the button and there is a light electricity and it took me a while just to get over this excitement because in Bosnia, when you uh, check for electricity, and you always press the button and there is nothing coming. Once it comes, you are happy. So I remember in Australia, whenever I do that, I get happy. Okay, they, now we have it. And um, But the country was uh, beautiful. They welcomed us very well. Australia is a beautiful country. Uh, has also its own very interesting history. Uh, but in terms of the culture, in terms of the people, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it was very welcoming. Uh, and uh, and we uh, we really enjoyed it, and the community was great. They were very supportive, and uh, yeah. So that's how that that's how it was.